Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Baseball America Playoff Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, alongside Jeff Ponce. We're here to recap the ALCS and NLCS today. Uh, we originally were going to record this podcast on Monday. We're a day late. Uh, we ended up pushing it back to today because uh, both of us were feeling pretty under the weather yesterday. It would not have been a good podcast at all. It would have been one guy so congested he couldn't talk and another guy so delirious and out of it. He would have been talking about how Jimmy Rollins led the Phillies to the World Series this year. So not <laughs> would not have made for good radio. So we decided to postpone it for a day. Uh, but we're here now to break down everything that happened in the uh, ALCS, the Astros sweeping the Yankees, and the NLCS, the Phillies beating the Padres in five games. Jeff, first and foremost, congratulations. You went two for two this round. You got off to a slow start in the wild card series going 0 for 4. But, you know, when it mattered most, you, you came through just like the Phillies. When it mattered most, uh, you came through, went two for two here. I know. And, I, and to be honest, I was um, part of me uh, on Sunday watching that Phillies game was kind of like, all right, Padres, let's. <laughs> let's win this game so the Phillies can take it in six and I can be two for two and perfect in terms of my predictions because I called the Astros sweep. Um, yeah, you know, they were really exciting series. Um, even, even you know, the Astros-Yankees, particularly that game four, um, I thought there was a tremendous amount of excitement. Um, you know, a really good game despite it being, you know, a clinching game and a sweep. I think we've now seen that with a lot of these Astros wins that they're just really tough uh, to beat. They'll, they'll claw back on you, even if you get up on them early uh, and they can win in a matter of ways. And I think that's what's been most impressive about Houston for me uh, throughout these playoffs. Absolutely. We're going to break down the ALCS first, then jump into the NLCS. And, and Jeff, you and I both coming into the postseason picked the Astros to win the World Series this year. We both picked them to win this series against the Yankees. And anytime the Yankees come out and get swept there's obviously going to be a, a lot of soul searching uh within just baseball fandom and, and new york especially considering the yankees and their history and the expectations for that franchise but i we've talked about this before and it needs to be repeated the astros were the superior team we knew that coming in we saw that play out during the series this was not a choke job by the yankees this was not a oh they should have had this and they lost Again, we've talked about the Astros were the better team during the regular season. They're the team that was the defending American League champion. They're the team that's going now to their fourth World Series in six seasons. And they're the team that has consistently beat the Yankees in the playoffs. They did it in 2017. They did it in 2019. Now they did it in 2022. The better team won this series. And I, that just kind of was 
laid pretty bare throughout the series. You mentioned there was certainly some excitement. There were certainly some close games. It's not like the Yankees got whitewashed every game. At the same time, it, w- it was pretty clear the Astros were the better team. They outpitched them. They outhit them. They played cleaner baseball. And, and this is where the American League stands right now. Everyone is, is chasing the Astros. I, I want to talk first and foremost about the Astros pitching here. Again, not a secret. This was the best pitching staff in the American League coming into the postseason. Uh, you just looked at the names and the performance up and down this pitching staff, and it was pretty clear that this was a, a dynamic staff who just did not have any weak links whatsoever. And we really saw that bear out. And, and I, there's been a lot of you know attention put on the fact the Yankees struck out 50 times in four games as a great fault of the Yankees. And to be clear, you can't strike out 50 times in four games and expect to win anything. But I think making it about the Yankees, what they did wrong – really takes away from just how good this Astros pitching staff is. This is more about how good the Astros are than any flaw of the Yankees. This is what the Astros are capable of doing. They've allowed 18 runs in seven games this postseason. They're holding opponents to a little over two runs per game. I mean, this is what they can do and what makes them so good. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when we look at some of these games, um, you know, the only game that was really, we'll say, you know, a convincing Astros victory was the the five nothing win in game three um for me a lot of the difference was the clutch hitting in the Astros um they have the ability to beat you in a variety of ways they can certainly hit for power there's impact there they don't strike out very much they know how to put the ball in play and they'll they'll sort of work with what they're getting um you know they're not trying to pull off on stuff and, and go deep like some guys that are in the Yankees lineup we can get into that in a little bit at points where they really shouldn't um and I think that that's bared out in a, you know, in shorter series like this, where, you know, big moments with runners on base often are the difference between winning and losing a series. And I think we saw that particularly as the games got deeper and went into the bullpens. Um, you know, you look at, you look at game one, um, for example, uh, you know, the, the Astros go ahead and score the winning run in the sixth inning, you know, bottom of the sixth inning, um, you know, they were up early um, in in game uh, two, but it was relatively close after that. The Yankees, you know, um, come back and score a couple of runs. And we mentioned game three. And then, you know, in, in game in, in, in game four, they were up three nothing going into the top of the third, you know. Um, and it, it just it just felt like a lot of the series came down to just taking advantage of the opportunities they have and, you know, consistently. Um, Houston's bullpen and their starting pitching stifled the Yankees when they needed to uh, in big spots and gave them an opportunity to at least keep games close, even when they got down early, which is what I thought was really impressive about game four in particular, because it was a different type of victory than we had seen uh, from the Astros, you know, outside of the crazy comeback that they had in Seattle, but just, you know, a good team on the road, you know, do or die game here and, they come back and, and just perform clutch in the later innings. Yeah, one of the big things with the Astros, and this is something that they've done for years now and, and was especially the case in game four, was they're really, really, really good. If you make one mistake, you give them the slightest opening, that's all they need. Um, you mentioned the Yankees going ahead early. They were up 3 nothing in the third. Jeremy Pena with that big game-tying home run. Yuli Gurriel follows the RBI single a couple batters later. The Yankees fight back. I mean, the Yankees give them credit. They they came back and retook the lead. Harrison Bader with that go-ahead homer in the sixth. He was great this postseason. But you go back to 
the Yankees just gave the Astros a little bit of the opening, that seventh inning, you know, what could have been an, an inning-ending double play ball. And again, it would have been tough. Jeremy Payne is a really fast runner, but at the very least, you have potentially, you know, two outs and a runner on first. Instead, it's an error. You have runners on first and second. And that that's all the Astros needed. Jordan Alvarez, RBI single. Um, Alex Bregman, a really, really good at bat, singling home to go-ahead run, two strikes on him. I mean, this is what they can do, right? If you give them the slightest opening, they're going to take advantage. A lot of that is postseason experience, a lot of its professional approaches, and a lot of its ability. They they do everything well. And, you know, it's something you and I have talked about extensively on this postseason uh, podcast series we've been doing. If you're one-dimensional, you're not going to win the postseason. And you mentioned the Astros, they can hit for power. They can crush you to death. They can also work walks, singles, doubles. And, and they did that throughout the series. They did everything. They hit big home runs. They came up with clutch hits. They showed good approaches. They shortened up when they needed to. The pitching staff held everyone down. And, and for the most part, they played clean defense, which the Yankees did not. We saw a couple mistakes, both in the infield and outfield from the Yankees D over the course of the series. So look, I mean, this is, this is a, a, really 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 talented team that is firing on all cylinders and, and playing like a well-oiled machine and this is where you want to be when you get into October I mean they're unbeaten in the postseason and it's not not a fluke there, there have been some close games let's let's not get it twisted it's not like they've been beating everyone eight nothing here but they consistently are pulling it out and it's not luck it's execution and yeah I, I just go back to when you have a pitching staff this good a lineup this deep and a lineup this deep that is capable of beating you in so many different ways. I mean, this is, I think, it, again, it goes back to just tip your cap to the Astros. The Yankees were certainly in some games, and you can point to certain moments or times where they could have done something different, and, and maybe the series would be a little different. But at the end of the day, the better team won this series. The better team who played better won this series. And, I mean, there's not much you can do about that if you're the Yankees. Yeah, you know, and I think um... – there were some encouraging signs from the Yankees this year. If we're going to just look at the organ, you know, the, the team itself, but they improved in terms of um, just playing clean baseball. They're still not great in that regard. Um, Harrison Bader, I thought was uh, really impressive the way he stepped up in the playoffs. And I think he provides them something that they've been searching for, for a while, which is a true center fielder with enough offense to keep the lineup, you know, going uh, and deep. Um, doesn't have to be a superstar there, but I think, you know, provides a lot of coverage and something that they've been searching for, for probably the better part of five years, frankly, and up the middle defense for them definitely improved. I think there's still some, some additions that need to be made in the infield. Um, Josh Donaldson is not the answer. Um, you know, if they move away from him next year, I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea with one, one year left in his contract. Uh, do they move on from Glaber and some of these things? But I really think they're a team that can retool and be back here next year as a better version of what they are. Um, there's still some strong core pieces there. Obviously, the big question is, will they be able to re-sign Aaron Judge? Who knows? Um, I think for him and for the Yankees, it's still the best fit. But we'll see how he feels about that. But if they bring Judge back and they can add to this team, you know, I do think that they can improve on this for next year, just sort of looking at him in postmortem. Yeah, you, you kind of jumped ahead. I was going to ask you what's next for the Yankees, but you're right. I think it's important to keep in mind that this Yankees team won their first division title since 2019. They won 99 games. They had a great start. They fell apart in the middle and they finished strong at the end. It's very encouraging all around. And look, the Yankees are, are not the juggernaut they used to be. This was only their third division title in the last 10 seasons, which is kind of remarkable, but if you go back and look, that that's where this team is. This is not the Yankees of the late 90s, early 2000s. 
This represented a step forward, again, getting back to the ALCS, winning a division title for the first time since 2019. And you're right, getting Harrison Bader in center field was, was a huge addition. And, and I think the main question for me, obviously, is are they going to resign Aaron Judge? That is absolutely the biggest thing. And uh, he's he's one of the best players in baseball, and you certainly are not a better team if you don't have him. And uh, we'll see what the Yankees are able to come up with and if he's able to stay, because obviously losing him would be a huge, huge, huge blow and is priority number one, no question about it. I think beyond that, the thing that I'm going to be really curious to see is what do they do about shortstop? Um, you know, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa was a gold glove winning third baseman in Texas, uh, played a little shortstop there, but it, it was clear throughout the season that asking him to play shortstop every day for a championship caliber team what was too much of an ask. And this is a, a position that's been a problem for the Yankees for a few years now. Um, Glaber Torres was a disaster. Again, Kinder Falefa can, can do a lot of good things. Uh, he's probably better suited to a utility role. Maybe you just make him third baseman where he's more reliable defensively. I, I'm going to be curious to see if the Yankees go out and try to make a splash with one of the big free agent shortstops, or if they decide they want to find a veteran placeholder or turn to one of their internal options, you know, as Oswald Peraza or Oswaldo Cabrera until Anthony Volpe is ready. Um, but that leads to a whole other group of questions. You know, is Volpe better suited to be a shortstop or second baseman? Most evaluators out there will tell you he can play shortstop. You're better off with him at second base. So I, I think there's just so many different possibilities for them at shortstop, which way they want to go. And, and that to me is going to be one of the keys for them because as much as their defense did improve this year and they did play cleaner baseball, there were still too many times where plays weren't getting made that needed to be made. And that's what I'm going to be watching for. If they can solidify shortstop in some form or fashion, that'll go a long way just to helping everything flow a little smoother, fewer mistakes. And then everything kind of flows out from there. Yeah, agree. And I think the other thing with, with the Yankees that we haven't mentioned is versus the Astros and some of these other teams is they really don't have a lot of flexibility with the roster. They have some big contracts on players that have underperformed. They have a bunch of years left with Aaron Hicks. Um, I think if you watch the way Giancarlo Stanton has played over the last couple of years, it's really tough to to, to view him as a, as a long-term piece. Um, but it's one of those things that uh, – you sort of took on those deals at that time because you felt they made sense. And a few years later, it's a lot of resources and assets that are invested there. And it is the Yankees and they have an unlimited budget, but you know, since ownership has changed over to the Steinbrenner family, it's really been a little bit less aggressive in free agency and sort of going over the top in ways that maybe George would have gone over the top on. Um, you know, just having watched that over many, many years, I think that that's pretty apparent. They're a little bit more shrewd and business oriented now. Um, but I don't, I saw, I saw a lot of sort of postmortem discussion of like just burning the whole thing down. And I just really think that's wrong. Like this is a good organization that really does try to operate on the fringes and do things differently. Um, they've had uh, a lot of continuity within leadership um, across all the different departments and divisions. And just from, from having watched it from the sidelines, um, I've always thought the Yankees have a first-class operation and, and do a lot of things really well. Um, you know, sometimes things don't work out. I think that this team's construction often gets blamed on analytics when I often think it was just not looking at the bigger picture of how the pieces all fit together. Um, and I think that maybe there's some question there with Cashman 
at this point, but uh, I also don't know if, if you know, <laughs> he's somebody that you want to necessarily let go because uh, they still are a competitive team. And, you know, from top to bottom, it's a good organization. Yeah, to, to be clear, burning it all down after winning 99 games and getting to the ALCS and winning the division is not the right move. But there are some goals that need to be addressed, some questions that need to be answered, and some changes that need to be made, both from a roster standpoint and an approach standpoint. But again, I think anyone looking at this and, and seeing it as a great failure on the part of the Yankees is being overly dismissive of the Astros and the reality that the Astros were just a better team and they're the team to beat in the American League, not the Yankees. That, that's been true for the better part of five years now. And it's more about can the Yankees catch them and not about, again, they're the better team and should have won. That That's the furthest thing from the truth. All right, Jeff, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, after the break, we're going to dive into the NLCS, the Phillies versus the Padres. Again, I think most people would have told you they expected Astros-Yankees in the ALCS. Phillies-Padres is not an NLCS almost anyone expected. The Phillies, the last team into the postseason, are going to the World Series. We're going to break that down here right after the break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are back. Kyle Glazer alongside Jeff Ponce breaking down the American League Championship Series and National League Championship Series. All right, Jeff, we, we talked a lot about the Astros and the Yankees before the break. And uh, the Astros, again, the team most people expected to be here in the World Series. On the other side of the coin, you have the Phillies, who, if this was a year ago, would not have even made the postseason. They certainly benefited from the postseason expanding to six teams in each league this year. They also definitely benefited from the addition of the designated hitter to the National League. And here we are. This is an offense that is absolutely relentless, a pitching staff that is pitching well at the right time, and a defense that improved enough over the course of the year to the point now that they swept a very good Cardinals team in the wildcard series. They really took it to a very good Braves team and the defending champion Braves in the National League Division Series. And they came out and beat a red-hot Padres team that was fresh off beating uh, 101-win Mets and the 111-win Dodgers in five games. Won it pretty decisively. I mean, Jeff, at this point, what do you make of this Phillies team? Because, again, I think the viewpoints of this team have been shifting so rapidly. And here they are. Yeah, I think um, 
coming into the playoffs, I viewed a few things as sort of fatal flaws with this Phillies team. I don't think anybody contested that they can hit, uh, especially when guys like Hoskins uh, in that lineup get hot and are swinging a good bat and, and, you know, taking good at bats, um, which Hoskins can do. He can work deep and get on base. If he's hitting for power on a run like this, it just makes everything else flow. Fine. They had major questions about their infield defense um, really across the board outside of even Bryson Stott. But I think Stott obviously has played really well in these playoffs. The other thing was the Phillies bullpen. Um, you know, how much would they show up? They had a couple of guys at the back end. Things had started to shape out later in the year, but they didn't really have defined roles and you really weren't sure what you were going to get. Now, that being said, they've played enough defense. <laughs> they haven't always been great, but they've played enough defense. They've really hit in big spots. The bullpen has really been the differential for me from what I thought the Phillies were versus what they've been in this playoffs. Um, do you agree? Like, I feel like Dominguez, Alvarado, Eflin, like all those guys have really been fairly clutch and allowed them to sort of stay in games that typically during the regular season, we often saw the Phillies bullpen blow. Yeah, I think you knew coming in again that Sir Anthony Dominguez and Jose Alvarado had the stuff to shut down any team. And, you know, we saw again, game one was their formula. Wheeler gives them seven quick innings. Those two guys, bam, bam, game's over. And then we saw in game two kind of where the flaws were when Aaron Nola started running into trouble. They didn't have a reliable option they could go to. You know, most other teams, Aaron Nola would never have been allowed to get to Juan Soto when he was struggling there in that fifth inning. But... They had to leave him in because, again, they just didn't really have anyone in the middle innings they could rely on, and it didn't go well, and everything kind of fell apart. I think for me, the real turning points in this series were, first and foremost, you look at Game 3, Joe Musgrove versus Ranger Suarez. That's advantage Padres. Musgrove was not sharp. Suarez pitched pretty well. I mean, five innings, two runs, one of which was earned. And then you can go, hey, Eflin Alvarado, and then and Dominguez giving him two. That was really, really big. You know, winning Game 3. But when this series was sort of, okay, the Phillies have this, game four, I mean, that's the exact kind of game where everything was against the Phillies. You would not have predicted them to come back from that. They're down 4 nothing in the first inning, 6-4 in the fifth. And look, their pitching plan completely fell apart, right? Bailey Falter couldn't get out of the first inning. And really, it was the unsung guys, Connor Brogdon, Andrew Bellotti, those guys coming in and holding the line. That was it what helped them, you know, have enough time to, to get back into it. And I think that's where the surprise was. If you had gone into that saying, okay, everything is going to fall apart for the Phillies in the first inning of this planned bullpen game, and they're still going to win, I think that's where you would have said, that seems a little rich for me. But give these guys credit. Again, it's not a surprise that Dominguez and, and Alvarado and to a degree Eflin showed up, but those other guys coming through, particularly in game four, I mean, Connor Brogdon coming in and throwing two and a third scoreless and holding the line there. That's huge. I mean, that game could, that game could have gotten out of hand so quickly. Um, and then again, give the offense credit. This offense is never out of a game. If their pitching staff gives them a chance for nothing in the first inning, they made it up pretty quickly. They scored three off of Clevenger right there to make it a one run game. And, when the Padres re-extended their lead, the Phillies came right back and, and took it to Sean Manaya, who hadn't pitched in over two weeks. So 
again, I, I think that's where a lot of credit is due to, to these Phillies middle relievers um, outside the big three. You know, the thing I, I keep going back to, and of course, these are things that are you know easy to see in hindsight. If we had the foresight for it, a lot of people would have been very, very rich picking the Phillies to get to the World Series. But there are two factors here that I think were, were overlooked. And the first is, since Rob Thompson took over, the Phillies have played at a pace of a 94-win team. I mean, this has essentially been a 94-win team for the better part of four months now. So I think that's something that was was definitely overlooked. And the other thing, too, that I think made a big difference that that is starting to get a little bit of pub, but, but maybe not enough, is the defense improved a lot once Bryson Stott ended up moving into their everyday shortstop. And that happened around early August, combined with the acquisition of Brandon Marsh at the trade deadline. That really, really, really shored up their defense up the middle. Stott at shortstop, Marsh in center, and that makes a big difference. You know, early on, Stott was bouncing around, some short, some second, a little bit of third even. But once they just stopped and made him their everyday shortstop and made Brandon Marsh their everyday center fielder after acquiring him from the Angels, that fixed a lot of their defensive issues up the middle. So I think when you take into account the way they've been playing for the better part of really three months now, and this defensive alignment was part of it, I think this is a Phillies team that's that's better than they were given credit for. I think if you just looked at, oh, they're an 87-win team and the defense has been bad all year, things pretty fundamentally shifted once you got into July and especially August. Yeah, and and frankly, I probably didn't watch enough Phillies during the year, especially late, uh, to really pick up on the differences. I knew that Stott had been playing better. I knew that the team themselves had been playing better in a really good division, you know. Not the best division in baseball, but I think probably pretty easily the second best best division in baseball after the AL East. Um, you know, you had to take on two 100 win teams there, um, so sometimes that can can kind of mask them a bit a little bit too, especially when things aren't going so well early. Um, it's one of the things that when we get into some of these conversations about playoffs versus regular season, um, you know, it, it it gets a little uncomfortable when we start to compare how a team perform maybe over the three first three, four months of the season versus late in the year and then how they perform in big spots. And I think the Phillies are sort of a testament to that. And we've seen it before, you know, um, we saw it with the Rockies a bunch of years ago, even the Red Sox in 2004, I think were around 500 at one point uh, prior to, to coming back playing really good down the stretch. And then the Braves um, last year <laughs> and the Braves last year, Braves last Braves this year. I mean, we, we were writing the Braves off in May, <laughs> And then they came back and they had a great season in 100 games. So it's, it, we won the division. So it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it's very, there's cycles throughout the season of baseball. And uh, I think it's one of the things that I appreciate the most. And when it came down to it, when you looked at this team on paper right now, the Phillies are as talented as just about any other team in the playoffs. I, I think it's wrong to say that they're not right there in terms of the star power production and veteran presence on their roster. They have a really deep veteran team. With that, we do have to talk about Bryce Harper. Speaking of superstars, that home run he hit in game five is, is going to be one of the most iconic home runs, certainly in Philadelphia sports history. And, and you could argue, especially in recent baseball postseason history. Jeff, you hadn't joined the staff yet. Last year for us at BA, I, I did a, a story you know, on kind of where's Bryce Harper 10 years into his career. Uh, I had a one-on-one -on -one interview with him at Petco Park when they came in to play San Diego in August. It was right before he got super hot and, and eventually won the MVP award. And you know, when I was talking to him about it, at the time, one of the things I wrote about it and talked about extensively is 
you know, here was this guy who was the most hyped prospect pretty much ever. I mean, him and Strasburg right there, but especially Harper given the youth. And that was just an added element to it, how young he was when he was getting the attention, which, you know, that wasn't the case with Strasburg. He didn't get his attention until he was already in college. And just talking to him, you know, you look at it and through the first 10 years of his career, he was on a Hall of Fame track. He was absolutely living up to every expectation, but he wasn't getting the love and attention he deserved. And part of that was after his first MVP season, he had a bad year after that. And then also the fact that Nationals won a World Series the first year after he left sort of led to this poo-pooing a little bit of Harper and how good he was, the impact he could make. And... You know, I wrote up the article. It came out, I believe, September 1st. And then he just went on an absolute bender and <laughs> destroyed everyone and won his second MVP award. And that sort of got a little more attention put his way. But what he's done this postseason, I, I think it's been really, really cool to see people start to realize, hey, this guy has lived up to the hype. And that, that was true even last year. Before any of this happened, in August of 2021, when I did the story, when he actually looked at it, he had already lived up to the hype. But the attention just wasn't really being paid to him for a number of reasons. He was almost seen as a disappointment, which was crazy. And now what he's done in this postseason, throughout this postseason, but especially with his home run in game five to essentially send the Phillies to the World Series, it's just cool to see the appreciation for how good he is and how well-rounded of a player he's become just in terms of, again, what he can do for a team offensively. Uh, He hasn't played a lot of defense this year, obviously, due to injuries, but just the energy he plays with, how much of a a heart and soul kind of player he is. It's cool to see, again, the idea that he's lived up to the hype now is false. He'd already lived up to the hype. That was clear through 10 seasons of his career last year. But now everyone's realizing it. And I think it's just cool to see. I'm big on let's appreciate greatness. And um, I think it's really cool to see that is finally being appreciated after what he's done this postseason. Yeah, I think there's a few things here, too. Um, we we look at guys like him in this modern age with LeBron James, you know, Bryce Harper. I think if you are a hockey fan, um, Sidney Crosby is certainly right there. And there's just these monumental expectations in terms of what they have to do, how they have to behave from day one. Um, and being able to fulfill that the way Crosby, the way LeBron has. And I think, you know, Harper, if he wins a World Series, the whole story will sort of come full circle. And, you know, there's the element of of a lot of these these conversations about all-time greats. And, you know, it comes down to just objectively looking at what they did in the field. And as you said, Harper was never a bust. Um, you know, this was always like, this is a great player, a Hall of Fame trajectory, he had already fulfilled that promise. I think what he did is he he solidified a signature moment and he did it in a in a gutsy fashion that even his greatest haters couldn't necessarily hold against him. This guy is a torn UCL. He fractured his thumb earlier this year, had surgery and came back from it. Um, last year, he won the MVP, I think, in a bad knee, if I if, if I'm not mistaken. This guy has been a grinder. He's done things that, you know, sort of fulfill that leadership, gutsy, sort of off the field stuff, old school mentality. And I think that in this age of numbers and everything else, and if you've read my content, you know, I like numbers. I still think that there is a place for the human element and the step that Bryce Harper has taken as a leader in recent years 
and I think it dates back to last season too, I think is impressive how he carries himself. It seems like the team rallies around him. And in a huge moment, he came up with a huge hit and something that we'll remember forever. I mean, it's not Kirk Gibson, but it was damn close. Like it, it, it was, it was an exciting, exciting moment. Even as someone who is, you know, not a Phillies fan whatsoever. Um, I jumped out of my seat and was smiling, was happy for him. And it was, it was cool to see. And, and uh, you know, I remember I saw Bryce Harper's rookie year, first game at Fenway park. And uh, you know, because it was Bryce Harper and it was such a big deal. So for me to see that guy come full circle, I think is, is really cool because we, we should cheer for greatness. We should appreciate greatness when it comes along. And sometimes the narrative doesn't always bear out in the way that we necessarily would like, but um, you know, which is the 2019 nationals world series after he leaves, but still he's a great, great player and came up with a really clutch big moment. And I think cemented himself as a, as a legend in Philly sports history. Absolutely. And let's go back to this Phillies team. If I had told you coming into the series that Aaron Nola's start would not go well, the Phillies bullpen game would implode in game four and they'd be behind for us, you know, late after blowing the lead in game five and they still won the series. I think most people would say there's no way in heck that's going to happen, but, but here they are. Uh, it's a team that's playing really good baseball with a relentless offense and, and a pitching staff that's doing enough to win games. Jeff, before we wrap up, you know, moving forward, when you look at the Padres, what do you see for this team? Because I, I think, again, obviously this is disappointing, but we have to keep in mind, this was the first year the Padres had a winning record in a full 162-game season since 2010. It was the first time they made the playoffs in a full 162-game season since 2006. They advanced the NLCS, something only two teams in franchise history had done before. Obviously, this is a frustrating loss. There were certainly some strategic things at the end of Game 5 that led to a lot of frustration, not bringing Hayter to face Harper, Trent Grisham's bunt. But this was really a wildly successful season, especially when you consider the fact they didn't have Fernando Tatis Jr. for a single game of it for them to get to the NLCS, beat two 100-plus win teams, including the, getting over the Dodgers hump. That is enormous for this franchise. Moving forward, how do you assess the Padres, and what do you see moving forward for them? Yeah, you know, I think this was a really positive development, um, you know, over the the tenure of AJ Preller, which has had its ups and downs. It's been a bit of a roller coaster, but I don't think anyone can doubt his ability to identify identify talent and bring it into his organization. I think when you look at the fact that they were able to acquire Juan Soto, add him into this lineup when they had the whole Tatis thing going on, add Josh Hader, who was having his struggles, but certainly um, when they needed him, he came up big. They've continued to add good pieces. They have other pieces that are developing, it seems, on the farm as well. Um, I'd have to look at the contracts off the top of my head, but it seems like they have a really strong core coming back once again um, and you know, shouldn't take too much of a hit, particularly on the position side. And when you think about the fact that they could have a lineup that has Tatis, Manny Machado, and Juan Soto, um, there's a lot to smile about, I think, going into next season. And uh, the way this team played without a player like Tatis or of his caliber in that lineup, because we certainly know that that would have changed the dynamic a little bit. Yeah, again, there's some questions to answer. Where does Fernando Tatis Jr. fit on this roster uh, positionally? What's he going to be like when he comes back after a shoulder surgery and two wrist injuries? Or two wrist surgeries, I should say. 
also who's going to play first base. You know, they don't have a clear first baseman on the roster. You know, they are they are losing some some bullpen pieces and free agency. There's some holes that need to be filled, but you're right. The main the main players are all coming back. You look at Manny Machado, you look at Juan Soto, you'll have Fernando Tatis, Jake Cronenworth. They're going to have Snell. They're going to have Darvish. They're going to have Musgrove. They, they have a lot of really, really good players on the front end and just, you know, kind of filling out the back end. We saw a guy like Nick Martinez, how valuable he was uh, during the season and the postseason, you know whether it's bringing him back if he opts out or someone like him. There, there are certainly some support pieces that need to be replaced, and that's one thing this Padres team in previous years have, has struggled to do under A.J. Preller, and a lot of times that was what sunk them, uh, you know, top-heavy but not enough depth. So seeing if they can replace some of the depth they built this year, that's going to be the biggest thing to watch for them, whether it's you know free agency, the trade market, how they want to go about that. But Again, this is a good team that had a great season, a lot of positive steps forward. And yes, they had home field advantage. And yes, you know, I picked them to beat the Phillies. I thought their pitching depth would end up being the difference. But this is a really good Phillies team. I don't think you have any shame in losing to them in the NLCS, um, especially when all those bats are hot at the same time as they have been. And so, yeah, just move forward. But Jeff, I'm looking forward to this World Series, Astros versus Phillies, uh, really a star-studded Phillies offense versus a uh, really good Astros pitching staff. That's the matchup I'm looking forward to most. We're going to have a full preview of that World Series uh, coming up. We'll uh, probably get that out here the next day or two. And uh, I, I don't know about you, Jeff, but I'm looking forward to the Fall Classic as always. Absolutely. Uh, sure to be a good one. And, you know, I hope uh, I hope we get another battle like we got last year. But, uh, you know, seven games. I want to see it go seven games. I don't know if it will, but there's nothing better than a game seven in the world series in my opinion absolutely all right well we'll have a full world series preview podcast for you later this week so keep an eye out for that in the meantime this has been another baseball america playoff podcast go ahead and give us a review on itunes spotify stitcher whatever platform you're listening on we'd love to hear from you for jeff Ponce, i'm kyle glazer thanks for listening have a good one everybody Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.